Good morning. It is the Sunday after Easter, and Jesus is still alive. And He lives to give us life. He's at work. He lives to rescue, to redeem, to change, to transform. Let's, uh, let's ask Him to speak to us this morning. Shall we? Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we stop and pray because um, I want to remember and we all want to remember that um, this is your word we're going to hear. And it is your spirit alone who can enable us to receive your truth, to, to love it, to embrace it, to live it out. And so we ask you to be merciful to us today. Um, and by your grace, by your mercy, um, let us hear your voice and let us respond. We pray in your name. Amen. So we're uh, going to get back into the book of Titus, our series entitled Do Good. And I want to just pretty much get right to it, get into the passage for today, which is chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. So if you have a Bible, you want to open it up to Titus 1, beginning of verse 10. And if you're having a hard time finding Titus in your Bible, it's in the New Testament. You find the big book of Hebrews, and then back up two books, that's Titus. Uh, the words are also on a sheet in your folder. Just a quick word to help us kind of get our bearings before we read it. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his co-worker, his representative, Titus. Titus is on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean, and he's there um, representing Paul, helping the new Christians in Crete established churches, just like this one, and help those churches get well established to be healthy, to be carrying out the Lord's will. And to this point, Paul has told Titus that his first job, job number one, is to make sure that each of these churches on Crete has a qualified team of elders to shepherd them, to lead them well. And then Paul has listed the qualifications, the qualities that these elders are to have. These are the qualities that churches need to look for in choosing their elders. And the last quality he just talked about in verse 9 was that these guys need to hold on firmly to the faithful message, namely the gospel, the truth. And they need to do that so that they can both encourage others in sound doctrine, sound teaching, and so they can refute those who oppose the message. And we pick it up here in verse 10. For, or because, there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. There was a group 
with a Jewish background who are causing particular trouble. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets had said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Karen and I were discussing this passage over dinner a few nights ago. She asked me what I was preaching on, so I got out a Bible and read it, read the passage to her, and she said something very interesting. She said, that doesn't sound very American. <laughs> She's right. It doesn't. It does not sound American to call anyone a liar. Maybe in politics it does, but ordinary civil life. Uh, that's, that's rude. It does not sound American to rebuke someone for teaching something they ought not to teach because they're deceiving others. They're leading people astray. That goes against our cultural value of, you know, everybody being entitled to their own opinion. And whatever you believe, hey, that's your business. And uh, nobody has the right to tell anybody that what they believe is wrong, especially if we're talking about belief in God. But see, that American point of view is not the point of view of the Bible. And this passage is by no means the only one that makes this clear. Um, you know, you just have to read the things Jesus said. Read the things he said. Read the things he said to those religious leaders who were, uh, who were not teaching the truth about God. Look what he said. I mean, as far as Jesus is concerned, as far as the writers of Scripture are concerned, to, for somebody to promote false ideas about God and how to live in relationship with him, and what's good and what isn't. For somebody to promote those kinds of ideas, that is a terrible thing. And those people need to be challenged. And their teaching needs to be challenged. And that is because truth really does matter. It really does matter. You know, one of the, especially the truth about God, one of, one of our big problems in America is this pervasive idea that when it comes to spiritual issues, when it comes to God, when it comes to morality, when it comes to right and wrong, when it comes to those things, whatever you believe just doesn't matter that much. You know, it's just kind of a personal preference thing. Whatever works for you, that's fine. Just don't, you know, push it on me and, and uh, 
you know, remember, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with real life, so don't get carried away with it. I want you to take a, a look, again, at the last verse in our passage, verse 16. Okay, now Paul is talking about some people who were promoting false spiritual ideas. And he says, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Whoa. Now ask yourself, does knowing God matter? Does doing anything good matter? Of course it does. And see, we're still on the topic of doing good here. You see that? That's really the, the main theme of the book. That those who believe in Jesus Christ are to be a people who are eager to do good. It's not just about believing good things and feeling good things. We're to do good things. And Paul is telling Titus here that in order for that to happen, in order for us to do good, we have to value the truth. We have to value the truth about God. We have to value the truth about God so much that we are willing to confront and correct those who distort the truth or who deny the truth. Maybe un-American, but it's very Christian. Now, we're talking here mainly about those correcting those who profess to be Christians and those who want to have influence within the church. That's mainly what we're talking about, although I think there are some implications also here for relating to those outside the church. And, and here's the point, really, the big point I want to get across. It's not enough for us, it's not enough for those who profess to know Jesus Christ, to love Him. It's not enough for us just to proclaim the truth. We also have to respond to untruth. We have to respond to untruth. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that in this culture that doesn't seem to value truth very much, especially the truth about God? Uh, well, I want to look at this passage and glean here are some insights, some lessons on how to respond to untruth. So let's start with this one. First thing is, be aware that the world is full of falsehoods. Be aware. Know this. Be convinced of this. Understand this. The world is full of falsehoods. Let me just say this as simply as I can. All right, ready? People lie. People lie. And, and I'm not saying that to uh, insult anybody or to really cast moral judgment. I'm, I'm just saying it as a statement of fact. People lie. And I probably don't even have to do anything to convince you of that. But just in case you're not convinced, let's just take a little poll. All right, everybody raise your hand if ever in your lifetime you've ever told a lie even once. Raise your hand. Okay? All right? See? And those of you who didn't raise your hand, just prove my point because you're lying right now. 
One of my basic convictions in life is that the Bible wouldn't tell us to do things if those things came naturally to us. Okay, wouldn't have to tell us that. Well, look at Ephesians 4.25 here. This is written to believers in Jesus, and it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Which tells me that that doesn't come naturally, to put off falsehood, to abstain from falsehood, and to always speak truthfully. The human race has a problem with telling the truth. And we can see here that that was a big problem in Crete. All right, these Cretans who had become Christians lived in a culture where lying was just kind of a way of life. It was just part of that culture. There are still cultures today where that's very true. Lying just kind of what you do. Okay, so it's very interesting, this quote in verse 12. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Now, you would think that that was said by somebody slandering Cretans, somebody who's not from Crete, you know, some bigoted non-Cretan. It was actually said by a Cretan, a famous Cretan, a guy from the 6th century B.C. known Epimenides was his name. And he was famous, well-respected. Well he was regarded as a prophet. He said it. So here's a guy from Crete who says, you can't trust anybody from Crete. And apparently, there were a number of people who were living up to that reputation, somehow connected to the churches. And these people were trying to persuade these Christians in Crete, trying to persuade them to believe things about God that were not true. We don't really know exactly what they were teaching, but it had something to do with some kind of commandments and rules and traditions and myths that somehow you had to have this special knowledge or this, you know, you had to know the code and had to do all the right things in order to have a relation with God, which is not the gospel. The gospel is Christ died for sinners once for all, the just for the unjust. And whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Embrace Christ plus nothing. That's the gospel. That God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. These guys were, they were messing with that. And apparently many of them had a Jewish background, but they were not teaching the Bible. They were teaching myths and traditions that had nothing to do with knowing the true God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this world is full of people like that. People who are eager to promote ideas about God that aren't true. Now, maybe they don't realize they aren't true, and maybe they do. Maybe they just want to sell you a book. Maybe they just want to get on TV. Maybe they just want to be famous. Falsehoods can have a lot of different motives behind them, but the world is full of them. Now, you probably know this, but here's the question. Do you take them seriously? Are you vigilant are you careful? Are you appropriately skeptical? See, I think we tend to assume that if somebody calls himself a Christian and stands up and talks about God, well, he must be telling the truth. This passage is warning us not to assume that. 
we need a better way of knowing what's true and what isn't than just taking somebody's word for it. Right? And so that brings us to two here. Second lesson, insight. You know, be aware that our world is full of falsehoods and then remember that God never lies. God has spoken and he never lies. Remember that. And I use the word remember because that point was made back in verse 2 where it says, God does not lie. In fact, it's even stronger than that. It just says, the unlying God. Lying is contrary to his character. Okay, now listen carefully because this is one of the most important things you could ever file away. The only way to know for sure anything about God is to compare what somebody said to what God has revealed in his word. That is the only way to know for sure anything about God is listen to what he has said about himself. Now that obviously raises the question of why we believe the Bible is the very word of God, even though it was written by people. We know that it says it is. Second uh, Peter 1.21 talks about the origin of Scripture, and it says, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I could talk for a long, long time about this, and uh, it's probably about time for me to uh, do another message series on this because it's been a while, and I can't, I don't have the time to go into detail to it today, but let me just give you the short answer. The short answer is it's very clear that the Bible claims to be a written record of what God wants to tell us, of what God wants us to know. All right? And this is the key thing Jesus himself very clearly believed that. He believed that. Again and again, he said things like, the scripture cannot be broken. He believed God had spoken in the words of scripture, which means that if we're going to take Jesus seriously, then we are to take the Bible seriously. That's just how it's got to work. And that's exactly what we've got to do if we're going to distinguish truth from untruth. And that is why you will never hear in this church, you will never hear anyone say that you should believe something because I said it. Or you should believe something because the elders said it. Or you will hear that you should believe anything other than for this reason because it's what the Word of God teaches. Period. That's how we know. Very interesting example from the life of the Apostle Paul. You know, he's going around all through the Roman Empire, the world of the Mediterranean, and he's proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the long-expected Messiah. And he goes from town to town, and it says he went to a town named Berea, and he met with some of the Jews there and was telling them about the Messiah. And, and, and when they heard this, it says they did not simply take his word for it. Look at Acts 17.11. It says, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. That was the previous town. For they, the Bereans, received the message with great eagerness and 
examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And that is the example we need to follow. Okay? Because people, people may lie, but God never does. Now those two insights, that's, those are foundational to recognizing untruth. People lie, world's full of falsehoods, God doesn't lie. Okay? You gotta know that to be able to distinguish truth from falsehood. But now we need to move on from just recognizing untruth to knowing how to respond to it. So, number three, believe that falsehoods are harmful, not just mistaken. Falsehoods are harmful, they're not just mistaken. Or wrong. Verse 11 says, these liars, these promoters of falsehood about God, look what it says. It says they're ruining whole households. So this is telling us this isn't just an academic issue. You know, this is not something we're just going to sit around and discuss. Oh, that's interesting. This isn't academic. We're talking about people's lives and families and households being ruined by being destroyed, by being messed up. Falsehoods about God always do that. Falsehoods about God always mess people up. Why? Because they deceive people into thinking things that are out of sync with reality. Reality is God and the world of the universe He created. He created it to be a certain way. And sin is rejecting God and thinking things. There's a sense in which sin is like a form of insanity. It's believing things about God and believing things about ourselves that just aren't true. And it puts us out of sync with reality. You, you may have heard that this last week, Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert passed away. Um, famous film critic. And I was uh, reading something he wrote. Apparently he uh, fought cancer for about 10 years. And he wrote something about his impending death. He said, I know it's coming, and I do not fear it. Because I believe there is nothing on the other side of death to fear. Now, I agree with that, if, if, if you understand it right. But this is what he goes on to say. Someday there will be no heartbeat. I will be dead. What happens then? From my point of view, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Apparently, you believe that death is, you just cease existing at that point. And he apparently found that thought comforting, although I know many people would not. But here is the really tragic thing that what he thought about death completely contradicts what Jesus said about death. Jesus said things like this A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, referring to himself, the Son of Man, and will come out. Death isn't the end. And those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. 
Jesus told us repeatedly that how we respond to him will determine whether we experience eternal joy or eternal misery. And I sincerely hope Mr. Ebert came to understand that before it was too late. Untruth is not just incorrect. It's deadly. It's not like a mistake in math where, oh, whoops, and, you know, fix it. Untruth has terrible consequences. It'd be like an airline pilot misreading his instruments. He's flying, he can't see, it's dark, it's foggy, it's whatever. And he flies his plane right into the ground because he thought he was higher than he was. That's what untruth does. So when you and I tolerate falsehoods about God, we're not being kind. We're not being generous. We're not being sensitive. We're being unloving. Which is the fourth thing we need to learn about how to respond to the truth. Do not tolerate lies that lead people away from God. Do not tolerate lies that lead people away from God. Our society has bought into a huge untruth that tolerance means believing that all points of view are equally valid. Now that is a big shift from what tolerance has always meant historically. Tolerance used to mean this, that you treat people with respect even if you profoundly disagree with them. Now that kind of tolerance is correct. That's necessary and that's biblical. Look at 1 Peter 3.15. The Bible teaches us to live this way. But in your hearts it says, Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always. Because everybody you talk to is a person who bears the image of God. But notice, we still believe that Christ is Lord. And we still tell people the truth about Him and the hope that He alone can give them. We don't, we don't go, oh, you know, this guy, he doesn't believe in Jesus. Eh, that's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's not okay for people not to know that. Yes, by all means, treat them with respect if they don't believe it, if they don't agree. But don't act, don't pretend that that point of view is just as good. It's not just as good. So what do you do? You pray for them like it matters. And you tell them and you love them. And you show them that Jesus is the way. And then if you ever encounter somebody who professes to be a Christian, especially someone in the church, who is teaching things that are not true to God's Word, then you have a responsibility to lovingly confront them. Don't just shrug it, don't just shrug it off. 
respectfully but firmly. And again, now we're talking about based on what the Bible teaches. We're not talking about just a difference of opinion here. Okay? Not talking about secondary issues that sincere Bible-believing Christians can disagree on and our eternity is not at stake. Okay? And a lot of these things are cultural things or maybe we're talking about some of the sequences of events when Jesus is going to return because Christians have been disagreeing on that for thousands of years. And nobody's eternity is really at stake in this. I'm talking about primary issues. I'm talking about foundational issues. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is sin? What's wrong with this world? What do we need? How is a person made right with God? What is the gospel? And if someone is teaching things there that are contrary to what the Bible teaches, they need to be lovingly, graciously confronted. And if you don't get anywhere with them, then you need to go and talk to an elder so that we can check it out. Well, what I'm telling us here, and what this is telling us is, we must not settle for fake love. Don't choose fake love over real love. Our culture is really big on fake love. Fake love means you really care more about what people think of you. And you want them to like you. And you want them to think you're cool. And you want them to think you're tolerant. And you're very broad-minded. And you want to appear loving. There's a lot of that going on in our society right now. People who will say they are Christians and they're promoting ideas and behavior that the Bible says will lead them to eternal misery. And they're doing it in the name of love. It's not love. It's not love. Real love means you actually care what is genuinely in people's best interest, and this is where you will find out what that is. Listen to God. And you speak up for it, even if speaking up for it labels you as a lunatic or unloving, and you become very unpopular. Lovingly telling the truth. Lovingly telling the truth is a loving thing to do. Let's pray together. Father, this is the kind of passage that uh, makes me uncomfortable, probably makes most people here uncomfortable. It, it is out of sync with our culture because it's, it's provoking us and challenging us to really be serious about truth, to really be serious about people's true well-being. And it's challenging us to speak up, to say what the truth is, and to do it in love. And Lord, some of us are probably inclined to speak the truth in anger, and that's not right. That's not like you. That's not how you want us to represent you. And some of us are maybe inclined to act loving, but keep quiet 
And that's, that's not loving either. So will you give us the courage we need? The discernment we need? Lord, we need to be in your word. We need to know what you have told us about yourself. What you've told us about life. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you told us that in Jesus is all we need. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. That doesn't make us intolerant. It makes us obedient to believe what you've said, to take your word for it. Lord, help everything we do, the way we say it and what we say. May we bring honor to Jesus our Lord. Amen.